Welcome everyone to the Reflection Artists Live podcast hosted by myself, Justin Lobato. Set your calendars to tune in every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time where I'll be bringing you industry spotlight interviews live from my active detail shop or an industry event. So if you're curious about who's who and what is what in the detail industry, don't forget to subscribe and tune in every Wednesday for some of the most exclusive interviews. We are live on social media. This is Reflection Artist Live number 52. So we're getting up there in the numbers, as I always say. I just like to watch it grow, especially with all of our great guests. Like today we have Shane Mayfield. He is somebody who you may or may not recognize. However, we will get to know more about Shane today. He has been in business for over 11 years, in the industry for over 23 years, and that's auto body related as well. So he has quite the, the background and foundation of from the substrate all the way up um, versus, you know, just detailing where it's just from the finish up to say. Uh, but I want to thank Shane for being our guest today. And um, we're going to go ahead and dig into how Shane got started in this wonderful world of detailing and where it all came from. Shane, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's going to be awesome. Be a fun day. So. Oh, and, and not to mention, yes, all the other accolades Shane has with, <laughs> of course, being part of the Air Force One detailing team, Gordon McCall's team, um, and then just recently through the Detail Mafia, he earned the status of master member, yeah. So, which we'll get into what that is and in, in the details on that. But yeah, sorry, I just wanted to make sure that you got that extra fluff before you yeah. got started. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> worries. Go man. ahead. Yeah, so... Um, I've pretty much been in the automotive industry in one form or another since I've been able to work. Um, One of the first jobs I ever had was a painter's assistant in a body shop. And and essentially what that means is like you do whatever the painter tells you and all the grunt work and you learn how to mask and and prep uh, panels for painting and things like that. And uh, it kind of evolved into my love for polishing cars. Um, When you're a painter's assistant, you also, you do the beginning work, like the prep form. And then you also do the finish work, which means like the denibbing, chasing the runs, uh, sanding and polishing, that sort of thing, and and all the finish work. And um, so that's kind of where my love for detailing uh, came into play was polishing cars, because I always love that, you know, that fresh pop from the nice paint and stuff like that. Um, (laughs) And then... uh, How far back was that? How old were you? probably 16, 17 years old or so. I went, I've, I've been working for a long uh, time. I had, I, I grew up with a mom that couldn't work. She was an epileptic. Um, and so she couldn't work. And so as soon as I was able to have a job, I had to pretty much go to work um, and, and uh, do that. And my, you know, my dad was never around. Um, and so, uh, so pretty much it was just me. Um, my mom was, was uh, like I said, an epileptic, she couldn't work. Um, and so uh I just had to get out there and, and uh, get to work. I, I got in some trouble when I was younger and I kind of learned real quick, like it's better to, it's better to do it legit than illegitimate, you know, cause you always run the risk of going to jail and things like that. So. Yeah. Now that, that, that aspect of your life with the paint body, you said you grew a love for detailing. How long were you doing that for helping out as the painter's helper? Uh, probably three to four years or so. And then uh, he, the guy, his name's Tom that, that kind of taught me that trade. Um, he would always have me detail cars on the side too, you know, like his buddy's cars and things like that. And not like professionally detail them, just clean them up as best I could. Like I had no professional training or um, a system to go around the car, let's say, or anything like that. I would just kind of get in there and clean it and polish it and do all that kind of stuff. And so I learned to love that aspect of it too. And then I just took it to the, to the next level and kind of learned a system and figured out, you know, the, how to make money at it essentially. Gotcha. Gotcha. So 
once you got into the detail part, I mean, did you just take what you knew and, and started your own thing or how did that start to evolve? So I worked for Tom and a, and a few other shops uh, over the course of from about 18 years old till 25, 26 years old, I want to say. Um, and I just kind of learned from other detailers uh, and learned some body shop tricks and things like that. And my reputation kind of grew um, for um, being very, very quality oriented and very good at, at what I did. And um, I decided that I wanted to, um, I didn't like working for somebody else, you know, like, like most people do. And so I decided that I wanted to go out on my own and I figured I could make money doing it. Um, and it just kind of took off from there. I worked part-time when we moved to Central Oregon, um, when I was 26, 27, <clears throat> we moved over here and I went to work for um, a guy named Mickey Larson who owned this big, um, he builds like custom RVs for people. It's, it's called Twins Custom Coaches. And so he designs like, RVs and, and race trucks for like NASCAR drivers and things like that. So we're talking like really high-end semi-trucks that have sleepers in them and custom paint jobs and we match them to nice. the NASCAR trailers and things like that. And so I learned a ton from that guy as well. Um, everything from welding and fabrication to fiberglass molding and, and uh, working working on stuff like that to um, setting up custom stripes on vehicles and how to use a, a projector to project it onto a truck to do masking and things like that so you can make stripes and things like that. So yeah, worked out great, man. It was a really good learning curve and it was super fun working on really high-end stuff like that. Like yeah, that Oakley sunglasses, NASCAR truck and stuff like that. That's so, cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Those are some big rigs though. I mean, that's a oh, lot yeah. of up and down work and yeah still has its own level of being tedious to say yeah for sure and they're they're very picky clientele you know because they're paying i mean we're talking six hundred fifty thousand, seven hundred thousand for these rigs if not more than that and so they're very particular on what they want and and they know you know they know what they're looking at so yeah they know what they want and if you can't meet that they'll find somebody else who can yeah for sure that's that's the one thing with building out something, right? You will find somebody who will push the envelope that will meet expectations. Oh yeah. Whether they know how to do it or they just make it happen, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, for <laughs> that's sure. That's awesome. So then from there, how did uh, you start Perfection Plus? I mean, where did that kind so of evolve? It, it started right out of Mickey's shop, honestly. So uh, he kept pushing me. Um, he's he's a really good uh, motivator, and he really pushes you to. He gets the best out of you, you know. And uh, so he kept pushing me like, hey, man, you're too good to, to be doing this. And at the time I was working for T-Mobile also. So I'd work at T-Mobile during the day from six to two. And then I go to work for Mickey Larson from three to, let's say, nine, 10 at night doing these trucks. And then I would detail cars on my days off, like Saturdays and Sundays and stuff like that. And uh, so my reputation was growing for doing the detailing thing. And then also Mickey was pushing me. And so finally I, I got the logo and the business card on my truck and stuff like that. And it just kind of Mickey would let me use his shop to detail out of. And I just kind of grew from there and he just kept pushing me. And pretty soon I was, I wasn't working at T-Mobile anymore and I was doing detailing during the day and working for him at night. And then it just kind of evolved into full-time detailing. Nice. Yeah. Now, when you did start, did you start as a shop or did you start mobile? So I started as an on, basically like an awning um, at his, at his shop. So I had this awning, it was kind of like a mobile setup where I had a location, right? So I just did everything. I had all my equipment in the back of my truck. And then I had an awning that I would set up and then people would come there and I would detail their vehicles and, and then get them back to them, you know? And that would be underneath your brand and your business. Exactly. So, yep. Yeah. So he supported you to the point of where, even though you transitioned from working for him, you still worked with him and he oh, kind yeah. of gave you an, a, a location to start with to build off of. Yeah, that's exactly right. So he just kind of said, Hey man, you, you can do whatever you want here. I want to see you succeed. You know, here's, here's the space, go for it. And so I just rolled with it until I, I saved up a bunch of money and then I went out and got a building. 
That's awesome. See, that's all yeah. about relationships right there. Yeah, that's exactly. a huge yep. testimony to that because you just, yeah. you don't burn bridges. You know, you may be transitioning in life, right? No matter what you do or where you're at, but you don't burn the bridge. You just take the transition for what it is, a good handshake, knowing that you're going separate directions, but I'll catch you on the flip side kind of thing. And oh yeah, thank you for helping yeah, I, me grow. Yeah, totally. And me and Mickey still have a fantastic relationship today. And, yep. and he lives over in Boise, Idaho now and does custom cars and, and uh, things like that. And, you know, if he needed me, I'd, I'd get over there and help him. Or if I needed him, I'm sure he'd come over here and help me. So, yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing, you know, all else fails, right? Let's just say business or something goes south and you need a job. That's another reason why you have those relationships because that's a person that is in your back pocket to give a phone call to, to be like, Hey, and he'd yeah. be like, oh, shit, yeah, come on over. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the kind of people who want you to work for them because they know what the work ethic you bring to the table or the value overall of who you are. Yeah, exactly that. And like uh, Tom Kinney, the first guy that taught me auto body and paint work, you know, me and him have a really good relationship. In fact, he'll, he'll text me with stuff when he has questions about things that he doesn't understand in detailing. And I'll text him when I run into an aspect on paint that I don't understand. Um, and, and, uh, it, it, like you said, it's about building those relationships, you know, like if all else failed, I'm sure I could call Tom or Mickey and have a job tomorrow, you know, yeah. no, no problem. So that's a good feeling to have. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, once you started to grow your business, you were just strictly detailing as far as that time frame, were you into coatings at the time or were you still on more of the, the, the traditional applications uh, as far as wax and sealants and just, you know, but more, and obviously you're buffing cars because you came from a body shop background. So that already puts you on that, right. That next level. But where were you at at that point? Yeah. So, uh, so I thought I was doing coatings and stuff, but honestly, man, I was doing like Teflon sealants. Um, you know, like they had this, I don't know if you ever heard about, they had this product called TST Teflon sealant technology. And uh, so it was really popular um, at a couple of shops where I worked at um, in California. And so when I moved over to Northern California to Tom's shop, he kept asking me like, hey, what kind of protection should I put on my wife's new Mercedes or something like that? And so I told him, order this stuff called TST and we'll do it. And so at the time I thought it was the bomb, you know, I was like, oh yeah, this stuff's great, blah, blah, blah. But it's just a, you know, it's just a standard paint sealant. And so, uh, you know, back then I'm like, oh yeah, this stuff's the super durable, you know, the best <laughs> Did stuff. Did you ever find out who made it or if it's still made <laughs> in the background? Because <laughs> no, I'm sure now with who yeah. you know, you could probably find those things out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I would always, I would always do that kind of stuff. And, and at the time I, you know, um, the, I guess I think Opticote was around then, but I don't think there's very many other, uh, ceramic coatings, let's say on the market. Um, I know that, uh, shoot, there's a, I can't think of the one that all the dealerships used, uh, not Silajet, um, Jacks. I can't think of it, but it's the, it's the typical one that the dealers throw on most of the cars. Yeah. They have the auto Butler, the Sela jet, the, yeah. there's all kinds of them that they have. That yeah. And so I always thought those ones were great, you know, until I started like really getting into the, to the technology aspect of detailing. And then that's kind of like when I got into Opticote, I used to be a big Opticote installer. And so that's once I learned about Opticote, that kind of took it to that next level. And then, um, you know, over time, I just evolved it into, to, to, in my opinion, more durable and stronger coatings, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And now, I mean, when you when you probably were doing the basics, your your finish work was always on point. It was the protection. But do you feel that once you were able to offer better protection with more relevant chemistry, that your revenue just went through the roof? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And at the time, honestly, you know, like most dealers, uh, detailers do when they're new, they don't know their worth and they don't understand their value. And so I was a I was. I, you know, I was making more money because I was charging more for better protection, but I still wasn't at the point where I understood 
the business aspect of, of getting paid for your knowledge and, and uh, you know, and, and what you do. And um, that kind of, that changed along the way. And, and my whole mentality on business and that sort of thing changed as well, you know. Did you have employees in the beginning or was it just you, you and a helper? How did that work? Uh, me and a helper. So I had like a side, uh, side kid that would come and help me. His name was Josh. And so he would, he, I would just pay him cash out of the jobs or like a percentage, you know, and uh, yeah. that helped me do, instead of doing like one or two cars, help me do like two or three, you know, make some extra revenue. And then when I went full-time, I had employees with, once I decided to go full-time, I probably had full-time, three full-time employees within a week. I was so, it just took off like a rocket ship. Once I, once I started putting ads out locally here in Redmond, um, like there's a little local magazine here called the Smart Shopper. And it's like, a, you put a little quarter page ad out. And so I put that out with a free wash and wax with an interior detail. And man, that, that little ad right there just got it going. And, and uh, pretty soon I, I was booked out a month and I didn't know what to do. And I was just freaking out, you know. Just kind of using that as more of a lost leader to get that traffic in. This <laughs> yeah, exactly. is who I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, yeah. how hard of it was, you know, a lot of detailers have a hard time in that that growth spurt, right? The growing pains where they go from having that part-time helper or full-time helper to having to get multiple helpers. Was it a, was it a mental struggle for you to, to, to overcome that and to cross that line to know that you were going to get that return or was it, or wasn't it? Some people have a hard time with that. Some people Yeah. Don't. Honestly, man, um, at first, when I first started employing people, it was the biggest headache in business. Like, because each person has their own set of problems, their own set of emotions, their own set of things going on, you know, and when it's your, when it's their problem, it's also your problem. And at the time I was so young, I didn't yeah, really yeah. realize they're that. going through a divorce. You're going through it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and so that was the struggle was like learning to lead these guys. And, and when you're, when you own a business, you know, um, I don't know how other people feel like about this, but at least for me, when I was first and fresh and young in business, I felt like I needed to be a dictator and a boss instead of somebody who leads them. So I felt like I had to bark orders and tell them how to do their job and this and that. Um, and, and so that was a constant, you know, struggle for power. And, um, some of the guys went with it and some of them didn't, you know? And so that was a, that was a really, um, that was probably the hardest aspect of business that I've had to learn to develop is becoming more of a leader and motivating these guys and, and leading them rather than just being a dictator to boss them, you know? No, I agree. It's, you know, it's like being on the football field and you're a great coach and you got your team captain and all that. But I look at it as more like I'm a coach with a taser gun. So that way, if you do something wrong, there's a little bit of that dictatorship that comes out where it's like, yeah, (laughs) are you going to pay attention? Yeah, no, I agree, though. Coaching them versus, you know, bossing them are are two different perspectives for sure. And yeah, different ways of accomplishing things and others. When you boss, you don't get a lot of things accomplished. You get more resistance, right? Yeah, and you get higher turnover, and you know, then that leads to other frustrations because you you're constantly in churn. And so, by the time you get a guy trained, he's already so frustrated that he either leaves or you fire him or whatever happens. Then you then you're just on this constant uh, rotation of bringing in new people. And you know, once you learn to lead and develop and um you know treat people uh or treat your employees like your family and and respectfully they you know now my guys have been with me you know uh, three four years at a time you know five years you know six years so i don't have a lot of turnover you know and so that's been the biggest difference and that's a huge huge selling point for a customer coming into your business when you tell them like i've got my guys to see I'm at six years, almost seven years with one. I'm at nine, 10 years with the other, and then four years with them. So, I mean, when you don't have turnaround like that, that speaks a whole volume about who you are as a boss, obviously, but how your business is going to be run with consistency. 
and standard operating procedures. Because when you're a small business and you're constantly filtering through employees, there's no way you can sit here and tell me that you're a hundred percent able to guarantee the job's going to be consistent from year now to third month to six months to who you have staff from that type of work consistently through and through. Cause it's not, it's yeah, a staff. Your quality level is going to go like this. Yeah. You're not going to yeah. be able to, to maintain it unless the only, the only way I could see you doing it is if you just nitpicked every single car, which in that case, you're not going to have time to run other aspects of your business, you know? Bingo. Yeah, no, I, I just feel that's a good point to touch on because it's like I've seen some shops that have great owners and great detailers that are owners, but the employees really make it difficult for them to maintain the level of quality that they're known for. And it's questionable. You get a customer that, you know, comes in and you know the shop down the street from you does good work, but they also go through employees like McDonald's. You know, it's, there's only so much that can be said, right? Facts are facts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But uh, so now once you hit that growth spurt and you were growing, did you, you know, with, with the polishing, the techniques that you knew and then getting into ceramics, is that something that you allowed your employees to immediately learn out the gate or did you go through a process of vetting them and getting and building them up to that point? So you could watch your business grow, of course, with those services. So, so back then I didn't have a system in place. Now in for the last, uh, you know, probably a good five years, I've had a great system in place. Um, but when I first started off, I would, I would teach them interior detailing, exterior detailing, and just turn them loose and, and, you know, just hope for the best and, and guide them and coach them and things like that. Um, now I have a very uh, set system, you know, where it's a, basically a six month um, process for you to even get to the point where you're going to touch a car with a coating. You know, you're going to, you're going to start with prep and you're going to learn all those aspects of it. And then once I fill, you should have that down within probably a month, be able to prep a car pretty solidly. Right. Um, and then from there, you're going to learn interior detailing and all the grunt work. And that's going to take you probably another 30 to 60 days to, to learn that doing it every single day repetitiously. And then I'm going to start training you loose on a polisher and teaching you a paint gloss enhancement service and a full correction and things like that and then from there then i'm going to give you the the butter work which is the applying the coatings and stuff like that you know so now you coming from a paint and body background when you were the painter's helper was there any of those services in the lineup that he offered that he did that he didn't let you do that he held you back on um yeah like some of the so on some of the custom show cars let's say if we let's say if we did multi-layers of clear coat and he would run um, you know, he would leave runs in a panel. And so mm -hmm. there's a technique that you use with a razor blade to shave them down and make them level. And so that's a really, you know, when you're not used to doing something like that's that, you tedious. can really destroy a paint yeah. job quick. And so yeah. on some cars, like if it's on a lower piece of a car where you couldn't really tell if I messed it all up, he would let me go for it. But if it was in the middle of a door or right below a mirror or something, then he's not going to let me try to shave that. You know, he's going to take yeah. the time and do it himself, but he I mean, would just, always just honing in the blade is already an art as it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and I can't tell you how many cars, you know, in that process of learning to sand, nib, polish, take out runs. I can't tell you how many cars I burned through countless cars, just, just because I would always push it, you know, and he would always encourage me to, to push it and try, you know, and like, if there was a little wobble, he would say, Hey, try to get that wobble out of there. And if I went through it, he would just fix it. You know, and that was one thing I always loved about him was he, he might get mad at the time, but he would always push me to do that next step of work. He would never settle for 90%. It always had to be that 110 or else it wouldn't fly. You know, and that's kind of where I get my mentality from. No, and I asked in comparison to like your process that you execute now of bringing on new detailers and how you bring them up in your shop within that period of executing certain services first so they get better and better as to where in comparison to like the body shop approach to where you kind of get thrown in there to learn everything. There's a few things here and there that are super tedious, you know, that can't oh, be yeah. done, but 
is, uh, there's just different approaches. And I was just trying to see if maybe there was something you thought it's just a matter of what works for you as a business or because you were trained on everything. And then now you break it down slowly to the other guys. Yeah. So. And, and the biggest thing that I always emphasize is the quality. Like I, yep. you know, my guys, a lot of detailers get in it and when they start getting employees and they want to rush them through it. Cause they, they know, you know, at the, the end of the day, the bottom line here is how fast can you do the car to make them to make the most money? That's, that's yep. really the basis of without compromising quality. Exactly. But me, I've always caught in a thought about it in reverse. Um, I, I emphasize quality. Like I've always told my guys, I don't care how long it takes you at the end of the day, if that customer's happy, I'm happy. And that, and that's what really counts for me, you know, to a point where I'll jump in, like if they're being, if I can tell they're being blatantly um, inefficient, I'll jump in and give them tips and, and pointers. And sometimes I just got to grab the taser and say, Hey, get to work, you know? And, uh, and sometimes that's what it takes. Uh, but, but yeah, for the most part, it's, it's just that, that relentless pursuit of quality, you know, and, and not letting up on that. And my guys understand that. And, and uh, once they get it and the light bulb comes on, they understand, you know, that's why my shop performs at the level that it does. And that's why we have the reputation that we have is because of that, that bottom line standard, you know, we don't go below that. No, that makes sense. And that's, that's kind of the breakdown I was looking for, because that explains exactly what your perspective is and why you go that route. Yeah. And now, I get that. And I get that from Mickey and I get that from Tom because they were just relentless at it, especially, uh, especially uh, Mickey. He was a, just a solid perfectionist and he, he always emphasized, take your time, make it right. You know, and that's kind of where I got that mentality from instead of rushing through everything and then hoping to hoping for the best. Like when the cars leave my shop, I know that the customer's not going to complain. I know that in my brain, I've already been over every inch of the car or my shop manager has been over every inch of it. And we know that we've brought it to its maximum potential and they're going to be thrilled with it. You know, there's no doubt in my mind, there's never hesitation before I let a car go. Yeah, and then if you're looking over it in shop and letting those things, you know, if there is a mistake, you're able to manage those things before it leaves. Right, exactly. That, that way, you you know you're 100% on point once it exits the shop. Right. <laughs> I do the same thing. Or they always come to me, do you look it over so I call the customer? <laughs> that's that's yeah. about the you know last step before actually calling a customer. Do you look it over? It's like, oh, yeah, let me go look at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, with with growth and the employees, now do you have a lot of employees designated to the different types of services or a lot of them well-rounded now that they've been with you for so long? So I have four really well-rounded guys that can pretty much tackle everything from interior to exterior detailing, paint correction, ceramic coatings, all that kind of stuff. And then I have a girl that specializes in paint protection film for me. Um, and then I have a tinner, uh, he, that, and that's what he does is just tint. Um, and then I have like a combo guy that can pretty much do anything I need from him, uh, paint protection, film, tint, detailing, you know, whatever tires, wheels, suspension, you name it. He's a, he's a really good utility guy. And, uh, I, I tend to like the specialist. I, the well-rounded guys are great. And when it comes to detailing, but you really can't have a guy detail PPF and tint, you know, like when you get in those different aspects of this business, it's, it's great to have those guys, but they're not going to have the time in the day to complete the, all those tasks. You know what I mean? And so having those specialists in place to where one guy's doing PPF while the next guy's getting the interior ready. And then another guy's getting the paint correction done on the back end of the car while they're doing the PPF on the front, you know, that sort of thing kind of goes hand in hand. And once you learn to utilize them for their strengths, that's where you can really make some good money off of, off of a car. You know, we're talking hundreds of dollars an hour instead of just, you know, 75 bucks or 80 bucks, you know? Yeah, no, I like that idea. Now, you had mentioned the PPF and the window tent with the growth of the, all the detail and what, what point in your business did you realize that that would be a great fit for you and adding revenue? So we implemented that. I think we're going on three years now of uh, doing paint protection film. We went and did some training and, and uh, stuff like that. 
And um, it really, uh, I kept getting requests for it for probably a good year. And I would sub it out to other shops and stuff like that, just to kind of appease people. And then uh, we decided we were going to bring it all in house and go from there. And um, it's been a, it's been a great move and, and uh, it's really brought in a higher end clientele as well as, uh, as well as like kind of established us as a specialist in protection of vehicles, not just a detailing shop. And, yep. and so we kind of phased out some aspects of detailing and kind of become specialist in, in the protection aspect. Yeah. So, you know, not, not digging so much into the, the soccer mom vehicles that are, you know, just completely nasty. Yeah. Now it's more like, yeah, we're here to enhance and protect, not do common core cleaning janitor exactly. style. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's money in that, but it oh, also, yeah, totally. yeah. And I, and I send those to other shops in this area, you know, and I uh, keep totally those guys do. busy. And then I, and then I focus on the protection aspects, you know, now with paint protection film, just touch on that a little bit for me. Cause a lot of people think that, you know, there is a, a new wave of that being an added service into detail and in detail shops, but talk to me about the startup costs and the, and the, the headache of entry on application and all the things that come with that, <laughs> not to talk anybody out of it, but just to give the, the, the reality of getting into that because it is a much greater cost. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I would, I would say you need somewhere between 20 and 30 grand in total, um, you know, total uh, cost of getting set up in paint protection film um, from plotting, training, getting all the films, uh, getting all the tools, all that kind of stuff. Um, honestly, I kind of made a mistake when I got into it and I figured, yeah, 10 grand will get me, get me into it. And that just kind of got our feet wet and got us in just enough trouble to where we had to commit to it. And yep. then I had to make a choice like, Hey, am I going to keep dumping money into this and we're going to roll with it? Or am I going to back out and go back to, you know, go back to just detailing and, and, uh, it, it just worked itself out. We went and did some training. We came back. I, I got a really good deal on a plotter, which set us up for success there. And then, uh, and then it evolved into, getting with Expel and the next Expel sending uh, people over to, to help us more to get us going. And then uh, meeting um, Crystal, the girl that does PPF, she used to be an Expel uh, rep. And so now she works for me um, pretty much full time uh, and um, does, you know, she does an amazing job. So it kind of went hand in hand and just kind of all flowed down the line, you know, as I started building these relationships with companies and stuff, and then, and then building relationships with other installers, making one connection led to another connection, which led to Crystal, which brought her into the shop and, and the rest is history, you know? Nice. Nice. So the, in the beginning though, with doing the applications before her, was it just you and, and the helper or how did that work out? Uh, so it was me. So we, I took my whole, my, myself, my wife and four, yeah, four or five, yeah, four employees to, to do that training. And so we all came back. We had a ton of film that I bought. Um, awesome B grade film just so we could practice. And we would, we would practice uh, tinning and PPF, um, and uh, before Crystal, it was just me and Riley and Brad and then uh, this guy named Jet that used to work for me. And so we would always uh, we would always practice, you know, and, and we could do decent on partial stuff and things like that. But the bumpers were always a struggle. Um, there's a huge learning curve when it comes to any kind of film application. And you just kind of you got to roll with it. Like, you know, one thing I would tell people to do is just, you know, if you can just charge for materials while you're learning and just explain to people like, hey, I'm, I'm learning. This isn't going to be perfect, but it's a good way to get your feet wet in it, you know. And if you just charge for the materials and eat the labor for a while, or just charge partial labor, just so you're not totally losing your ass, um, you can really learn. And then you can up your prices from there once you get really good at it, you know? And I think a, the plotter really helped us out with the bumpers because trying to bulk a bumper, which is how we are trained, just wasn't happening. It, it yeah. is a nightmare to try it. Yeah, it's definitely a uh, next level of, of craftsmanship there when it comes to bulking. Oh, yeah. And those some guys people feel otherwise, but the majority, yeah, the, the, 
and, and let's face it, you know, as detailers, you know, with being able to know how to do a job, get it done and get it out, the kit, you know, nine times out of 10 is going to allow you to be able to get the fit, go and be done. Absolutely. You know, fit, apply and be done. And that way you don't have to worry about it. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's still within standards. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's, it is a, it is a learning curve, like with anything else, you know, when, when we, when you started out detailing, you weren't the best detailer on the planet until you, until you did it repetitiously over and over again. And, and that's something that we, that we just learned over time and, and evolved on, you know, and just kept, we just kept pursuing it until we got the hang of it. Now with that side of it is with, with PPF in general and watching your numbers grow, have you notice a growth every year and being able to gain and do more work. Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll kind of give you a, for instance, so um, four years ago, I was at 650,000 gross for the year and I'll probably hit a million dollars this year in gross revenue. That's our goal uh, within the next month and a half. We're at like 940,000 or so. So I hope to do about 60,000 in the next two months of, of total detailing PPF intent. Well, what um, about PPF another, by itself? Are you seeing as far as your numbers, are they starting to maybe catch up to detailing or exceed detailing? Yeah, they're, we're about 50-50 right now, I would say, oh, wow. with, with detailing and PPF. Yeah, the PPF came on really strong. Um, there wasn't, there's not that many installers in this area. And the one, there's one really good installer, but he's um, dedicated to a Porsche dealership here. And so he doesn't really touch uh, every other car, right? So he'll, he yeah. does mostly Porsches and high-end stuff that they ship him. So he's so tied really up with the dealer up. work while you're getting all the public exactly. work. Exactly. So it really helped. Once I started advertising it, people were like, oh man, we need this done. And so I, I put together a couple of packages um, that I based on, you know, what's going on around here. Like we have a package called the Central Oregon Ultimate Protection Package. And it's just a high impact front kit with some mirrors and some rockers because around here we have a lot of cinder on the ground. And so, uh, and so we, we uh, do that. So it helps with the rock chips and using that positioning it, it has just really helped uh, take that, take it to the next level. And, and our reputation has just grown like wildfire. It's really becoming unbelievable. I, I would imagine by, within three years, I'm, I'm probably going to phase out most, most of the other aspects of detailing. I, I would like to just specialize in corrections, um, coatings, tint, and film. If we get that popular to where I don't even have to touch interiors, I'd be, I'd be thankful for that. Um, yeah. I would still always do it. You know, I'd probably have a dedicated detailer, but it would be, it would be a real blessing not to have to depend on um, in, interior detailing or, or details in general to, to support myself and, and my business, you know. I know a couple that have done that, but they did that years before they were actually should have done it you know i mean they did it based on the idea that they were going to just you know it's like the person who opens up that first storefront and they're like all right i built it they should come and nobody shows up yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's basically i know i've seen a couple detailers where they're like yep no more interior we're doing all coatings and then all their coatings slow down and they're stuck a week without work and it's like yeah, my, my thought is I would have a dedicated detailer. Like I'd probably yeah, throw yeah. all my guys into specialist and then I would keep one guy as just a dedicated detailer. And that would be for my the long-term clientele that I've had that's kind of repeat, you know, and I would take on some new stuff if it was good, but then I'd be able to be much more selective on what I took on, you know? But that's what I mean too, to my point is that you would be, it would be a prepared scenario. It sure. would be calculated. You would already be in that position. So it'd be right. like, yeah, you have that choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm building to. And I've seen some of the, you know, some of these other detailers, like you were talking about where they just jumped right from, you know, they started doing 10 coatings a month and they're like, man, if I just keep the interiors out of here, I'll do 20, but then it doesn't work out that way. So then they have to go backwards, you know? And so it, I just, I just believe in building one step at a time. And once I have those blocks in place and then, then once I have the foundation laid, then I'll, then I'll make the move, you know? Now with, um, 
that you added tint. So right. tell me about the tint aspect of your business. Man, man, tinning is the most frustrating film uh, process that you could ever learn. I can't tell you how many rolls of film I have gone through learning tint and how frustrating of a process it is. Like you'll, you get 99% of the way there and you leave one little crease in it or you, you get done with your last, uh, you know, uh, swipe of the squeegee and you see a hair back there and guess what? You're starting all over. And it, and it has been, um, probably the most humbling thing that, I, that I've ever learned. It's been super frustrating to do. Um, you know, but we get it, we get it done, man. Um, it, it's a good moneymaker. It's a great upsell. You know, anything that shows up in my shop without the two front windows tinted, we always send them a quick text and say, Hey, we'll tint your windows while it's here, you know, um, that sort of thing. So it, it's worked out great, but, but out of all the, uh, out of all the things that we've tried it at our shop upgrade, uh, you know, uh, you know, to enhance our capabilities, tinning has been definitely the biggest learning curve for sure. So yeah, I was, I was expecting that for the PPF side, not the tent oh. side, but yeah, both have their learning curve. That's yeah, at sure. least with paint protection film, like if you make a mistake under it, you can at least pill it up and try to remedy the situation. Yeah. As with tent, like you can't, there's no way, maybe with a hair, you might be able to lift it a little bit, but I mean, if you get a crease in it, it's done. You're not getting the crease out of it, you know, or, or, um, you know, you heat it up too bad and wrinkle it. You're done. You know, there's no, there's no fixing it. You know, at least PPF has a little bit of forgiveness to it. And it's a, and it's a broader, uh, you know, usually a broader piece of film that you're laying. So you, so it's a little bit more forgiving and things like that. Whereas tint, it's like once and done one wrong cut, you know, any, any mistake and you're just done. And that's where it really becomes frustrating is that you get, like I said, you get that 99% of the way. And then you, and then you see that hair, or you see that little wrinkle and you're like, dang it. And then, so now you're just starting all over, you know? Well, outside of the learning curve for those two additional services with PPF and tint, it's definitely been a huge revenue driver though. As you said, your your PPF is about 50-50 with your detail side of revenue. So, yeah. I mean, the benefit of adding that just allow you to grow that much more. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. The, you know, adding the tent brought in more, uh, more clientele. And then, so, you know, if they come in for tent and then we're talking, and then we start talking about coatings or detailing or things like that, you know, so every, to me, everything that comes in is an opportunity to show them something else, some other service that we do, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, and that's kind of something I always emphasize with my, with my guys at the shop. And, and I always try to practice with myself is, you know, when I'm interacting with a client, if they're strictly talking about ceramic coatings, and then I start talking to them about paint protection film because they might understand, you know, hey, the, the paint protection film offers this aspect of protection. The ceramic coating offers a totally different one. And then why we have it here, we might as well tint the windows as well. And if you need wheels and tires, I got that, you know. So I've kind of become this all-in-one stop for, uh, you know, new vehicles that are, that are getting enhanced, you know, and getting protected. So now, are you have any plans of trying to do anything with a, a retail storefront with products? I know you already have like a small section, but do you plan on going like full blown with any of that? Yeah, so that's in the works. If I could, the biggest struggle that I'm having right now is finding more space. Um, so I have two 4,000 square foot buildings right now, and they both only have these eight by eight offices. Um, in them. And so there's not much room at all for like a storefront type thing. And so that's why you see, I have that little shelf with the, with my own labels on it and stuff like that. But I would love to, you know, get into a full retail space to where I could actually have a detailed distribution uh, set up, you know? No, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. So back it up a little bit then as far as with your growth with everything, at what point, you know, because of how much you've learned with the body shop and how, how much you learned in the field as you growing your business where did you feel you needed to get training and why so 2016 so i've been in business about five 
and a half, six years, something like that. And um, I had become pretty successful, but I didn't have what I, what I still was, was a detailer. I wasn't a businessman. And so I was able to detail cars and I was able to boss people around and make some money. Right. And I was making a pretty good living, but I kept seeing guys, um, you know, in this industry that didn't touch cars, you know, um, and they, and what they did was manage people and, and, and manage their business and different things like that. And so I started looking into different trainings and, and people that really focused on the business side of this. Um, and so that's when I, um, got with Rennie and got training at detailing success and then met guys like you and, and some of the other guys in the group and, and picked their brains and really started to learn the business aspect and the management aspect of this. And then from there, I just kept studying you guys and, and, and emulating what you did. I mean, I really didn't do anything special. I just kind of took what you guys did made it my own and then took it from there, you know? Um, and th I think that's the biggest thing is, is putting what you learn into action, not just writing it down and taking notes, but actually practicing it until you learn it. Because, um, you know, like when you taught me the consultation process, it was, all, it was a struggle at first. And I was kind of hesitant, like switching from doing over the phone stuff, like every other, uh, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry detailer does to doing in-person consultations. It was kind of intimidating, kind of a struggle. And, uh, and so I just stuck it out until I got the hang of it. And that's been one of the best transitions I've ever, I've ever done. And my that makes business a become world, world of a difference. Yeah. Just everything, yeah. the experience, the expectations and yeah. the revenue. Yeah, absolutely. And like I've, and like I've told guys, you know, at our, at our group meets and when I talk to people about consultations, I really believe that the consultation is the, is the separator between a specialist detailer and just your average Tom, Dick and Harry detailer, because 99% of the detailers still do it over the phone and they still do phone consultations. But if you, you know, if you, if you look at a surgeon or a dentist, they don't, they don't talk to you over the phone about it. They examine your, your car or examine your teeth. Right. And so that you as a specialist need to be doing that same thing. You need to be treating people like that, that you're the expert. And, and when they get to meet me in person, they get to see my shop, they get to see the cars that are out there and I get to walk around stuff that we've already done and show them examples of our work. And that right there sells itself, you know? Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Now outside of the consultation though, it, uh, process that you learned and you know, you fine tune what, what are other, some additional things that definitely helped your business? I mean, again, a lot of people in the industry, they don't feel that training is necessary and whether it be through Rennie's like you have gone through, or just in general, the importance of, of continued education, how much value do you think that gave back by actually sitting around people that one were in the group, but two with Rennie and him pointing out things that you may have never noticed or were going to try before. Oh yeah. Invaluable, man. Like, um, like just reading, just learning to read books about leadership, about business management, about banking, about financing, about, um, you know, team leading stuff like that has really just changed my whole aspect on, on, on those aspects of my business, like change my outlook on how I look at things. Um, you know, like the E-Myth Revisited, uh, that book taught me not to be the, the worker. It taught me to be the, the businessman and the manager of the business, right? Or it gave me those aspects to think about in my brain so, so that I'm not going in there and, and wanting to grab a polisher every day and get to work. I'm, I'm needing to learn how to delegate stuff and, and, and send it to my guys, right? Um, and then finance books, like learning how to, how to budget, learning how to finance, you know, things like that, that it's just little, little, little things like that that make huge differences when you really put in the effort to learn those things. Yeah. And obviously as you're an active business owner, these are things that you can apply daily as yeah. you learn them. So it's not like you're just going to learn it and lose it because yeah. you don't get to frequently try it, but it's yeah. A, it's and I think that's what happens weekly. to a lot of guys is they get into it. Like they'll, like they come, I, I see this all the time in our group too. And, and in detailing in general is 
they come back, you know, from training or they come back from a, a seminar thing and they got all these notes and they're all pumped up and they put it to work for a little bit and it doesn't go exactly as they pictured it in their brain. So they bail on it instead of just sticking with it and going through that tough time. That, that time is where you're going to learn the most at and you're going to learn the adjustments and you're going to learn what not to do and you're going to learn what to do and how to do it and you're going to learn what to eliminate and what to keep, keep going, you know, and you're going to make that your own process, but you have to go through that struggle to become successful yeah. at it. Yeah, that time is the struggle. That time yeah. is, the, is, is the whole award for the whole scenario. Exactly. That's what That's, they're missing. They're thinking yeah. the end of it. They're not realizing that the in-between is all that reward, not the end. Exactly. Yeah. The end, the end goal is never going to be there. You know, at least for me, the, the success part comes in the struggle. The the success comes from learning and struggling and progressing each day and getting better at what I do. It doesn't come when I get the award at the end of the day. It doesn't come from the plaque on the wall. It comes from all the work I put into getting that, you know? Yeah. It's like, I saw a thing the other day. I said, um, all these people keep saying about, or keep using the term, well, back in the day, things were this way or back in the day, things were that way. And they don't realize that the moment we're in will be that back in the day. Yeah. So it's a matter of just, you know, savoring the moment and realizing what you have and what you're doing that will change tomorrow. Yeah. Same thing with business. Stay the course, you know, stay in the course of what you're trying to accomplish. Like you need to have that vision in your head of what you want and you need to be relentless about pursuing that. That that's the key, you know, for me, that's been my key to success is just never settling and never saying enough is enough, you know, and, and always striving to be the best and, and, not just the best in my area, but the best in the industry, you know, and that's, that's kind of how I look at it is I not just the best detailer. I want to be the best mentor, the best business person, the best, uh, you know, the, the best in the IDA, the best at MTE, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, I just want it. I just want the best for everybody. And I want to see people succeed. And I think the more that I push to help those guys, the better I become, you know? No. And that push of growth that you've had, that's, I think what's allowed you to land is, you know, being part of the Gordon McCall team, yeah. doing Air Force One. I mean, I know Air Force One, the first time you did Air Force One, you were stoked to be out there because I was <laughs> on there with you. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, yeah. I was Jack, man. I loved it. I loved every single second of being just toasted in aluminum, pitch black every day. Um, yeah. Didn't bother me one bit. You're like a kid of Chuck E. Cheese. You didn't know yeah. what to do with yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the harder you polished, the more tickets came out. You're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I was pumped, man. It's still uh, even doing Air Force One three times, man. It doesn't it doesn't get old. I, I tell everybody that they're like, man, you know, you've been doing it for a while now and you've been part of the team for a long time. And and people always ask me, is it kind of the same thing? Well, it's the same planes, but it's always a different it's always a different task up there, you know, and, and always a different uh uh, it, what I really love about it is all the new guys that you get to see up there and you can see the look on their face when they see these planes and they're just like, Whoa, man. And now I was that same guy, you know, the first, the first year. So you get to see it and experience it and watch them grow through it and stuff like that and get to relate with them and build, and build relationships, you know? Yeah, I know. And that relationship building, I think whether it's that event or any event that you're at a couple of days and stay in a hotel or a week, you know, like AFO is a week long mobile tech is a, is a Thursday through Saturday, but you're, you know, anywhere from, two, three nights on up to six nights with people. That's the advantage you take of being able to get to learn who they are, what they do and how they do it differently, because essentially they're detailing, they're running a detailing business, but they might be doing it in, you know, a completely different state, like, you know, like Texas or New York or somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and still staying busy as can be, but you get to listen to how they stay busy and why, because of the approach that they're taking with it. 
Yeah, exactly. And you could always, you know, and you, and they might have an aspect that, that they do in their business, like you, that you've never, you know, that you never even thought of. Um, and so that's where those relationships come into play is, you know, and, and being able to pick their brains and, and being around them is you just get to listen to what they're doing. And then you might get that light bulb that goes, Hey, maybe I should implement that at my shop or, you know, something might click in your brain to where you tell them, Hey, you know, you might, you might think about doing this because I think it'd be very successful in your area too, you know? And so that's where coming in and building those relationships really makes, makes you stronger as a business owner and stronger as a person, you know? Oh, for sure. Now, as far as shows go, what was the very first show you ever attended, Shane? Uh, SEMA. So uh, I used to go to SEMA 2011 through 15. I went every single year as an auto body and paint rep or, you know, with auto body and paint companies. Um, and then I skipped a year and then went back in 17 with you guys in the, in the detail mafia group and stuff like that. Gotcha. And was that the first time that you walked through the detail side of things and really paid attention or did you? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't even know there was a detail side. uh, (laughs) I mean, we are this small little section at Tima. (laughs) Yeah. We would always like when I was, when I was working as a body shop guy, we'd always be the guys looking for like Chip Foose and Boyd Coddington and, uh, you know, like all those big names, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Charlie from Boise, Idaho, the really famous painter. So we'd always be, you know, walking around and all the auto body stuff and playing around in there and then checking all the cars, you know, and of course the parties and stuff like that. But I've never, you know, I never went over to the detail. And like I said, I never even knew there was a detailing site until uh, 16 and 17 when I went over <laughs> with you guys. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. We're here. Don't, yeah. don't mind us. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But now did that, did you, once you learned, you know, that there was a side and, and you saw, you know, the, just the, uh, the, the passion amongst all these other detailers and then seeing that meeting people, did, did a lot of that inspire you on the detail side of things? Oh yeah, absolutely. The, you know, between meeting the guys that were really successful in this business and really passionate about it and we're kind of leading the charge in detailing and then watching the technology evolve in this industry has been, uh, you know, when you do it, when you've done it, as long as I have, you, you kind of went, we've kind of went from a rotary and a wool pad and a yellow pad and a black pad and like, you know, Meguiar's, uh, Meguiar's 105 and 205 to, a million different compounds, um, liquid or, you know, liquid abrasives, liquid polishes, diminishing abrasives. I mean, you name it, there's all kinds of stuff out there now and to watch it evolve and watch how much faster they've made detailing become and how efficient they've, they've really got these tools and these processes. Um, you know, it has just been, um, it, it's been really motivating for me and, and really cool to, to be part of and, and watch this industry just do a full 360 and come out of it. And now there's guys out there making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Whereas, you know, yeah. when I first started, like the average, I would bet the average detailing business owner might at a good day might've made 75,000 a year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Business revenue. Gross. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. Yeah. Gross yeah. meaning that makes you sick to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, sure. seriously. And it's, and it's, it's good to see that growth, but that that's the thing. And to your point, you know, being able to see the cutting edge technology, you know, going to shows like that, that was, that was my point is it is very important to attend the show. You meet people, but the products you stay on top of the new development from the manufacturers, whether they're releasing something new or there's a new manufacturer, maybe they're, you never know. They might make a splash in the industry. There's companies that we've seen come in first year of being in business next to these legacy brands and just blow them out the water on sales with certain items. 
Oh yeah. You well know? think about Rupes when they came out. I mean, they changed the game of detailing forever. The second yeah. they stepped on the stage with that long throw, it yeah. changed detailing forever. Same thing with the flex. When, when the flex got popular, the flex been around a long time, but it wasn't popular uh, in the mainstream. At least my understanding, like I never even heard of flex till like 2014 or something. I know they've been around longer than that, but once they became popular, it changed how we polish. It changed the game of detailing, you know, no longer did we have to worry about leaving buffer trails and cars and, and uh, things like that. Now we could just go to town, you know? No, and that's the point is that you're getting there. You're seeing all these things first and foremost. You're, you're first in your market, or if not, you know, maybe one or other two people that might go to SEMA or other shows, but you're first in your market to see these things and bring them to market. And it helps on that added recipe to the formula of you being successful. Yeah, you know what I mean? It, it just it just adds more to get you there if, as long as you exercise it, right? As long right. as you're getting the tools and the techniques and the products to help you get on that next level because you are offering cutting edge stuff versus your competitor down the street or whoever your biggest competitors are in your area to have stuff that works better and offers a better service to them. Right. And it's safer for the vehicle too, which is a, you know, which is a huge aspect of it that not oh, yeah. many people think of, you know, um, like with those, with those long throw polishers, I have c- complete confidence that I could turn, you know, my most rookie guy loose with a car and very unlikely is he going to burn a car. Whereas if I turn him loose with a rotary, he's probably going to smoke it, you know? So that, that aspect of it too gave, uh, business owners and, 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 uh, detailers more confidence in, in correction work. Right. And, and everybody used to be afraid of, uh, you know, using a rotary on a car because you run the aspect of burning through it. Whereas now with these long throws and the force rotations and stuff like that, sure. You can still burn a car, but it's going to take a lot more, um, error on your part to do it, you know? So they've really changed the game in that aspect as well. Awesome. No, it, the machines have definitely taken this industry for a ride. <laughs> mm-hmm. now, and then you got the pad companies like ourselves buff and shine catching yeah. up with the machine technology now that we're caught up now there's the you know the chemical companies making different abrasives that work specifically to the throw of the machine i mean right you know things are just getting super super cool um but you know more unique in regards to being able to dial in the process better to not make it as many steps or as difficult for the end user which is us the detailers yeah. Yeah. And all the cool, you know, like your guys' blended wool pads and things like that, that give you like that medium cut as versus just hazing the crap out of the paint, you know, to where with the right abrasive, you can actually get a full correction in one step as versus having to cut down the whole car, you know, then go back and polish it, then go back and jewel it, you know, so you're saving a lot of time and becoming efficient just by having all these different options, you know, um, it, as versus I would, you know, I'd say 15 years ago, you basically had a wool pad, a yellow pad and a black pad. And that's kind of where we were at. And you might have, other companies producing pads that that very few people had access to now any detailer has access to all different you know from medium to light cutting to heavy cutting to whatever you need to get the job done and then it's just a matter of you know figuring out which pad goes with which product and what's going to give you the maximum result the quickest you know yeah no 100 so we are coming up on time shane but you know the thing i love about this is you have been able to explain the story that you know starting from you know having great people to work for to working for yourself and that's where you know no matter what the backstory is you started small just like everybody else right and then you grew you went from that same aspect of the the part-time and full-time employee on up to multiple adding services in continued education being part of the big picture to say you know on industry level with you know with all your background and credentials within the the detailer network mafia ida all this good stuff but this is 
you know, a true testimony, I think, for you and who you are and what you've become as a leader in the industry to those that want to do that same thing. And that is something where you've told that story. And it, for those people, it's not hard to duplicate in regards to just doing the same things, but seeing opportunity when you're doing those things for yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. And honestly, there's no, I don't have a, I don't have a secret tip. There's no, there's no, um, there's no magical trick. There's no magical book. There's no phone app I can give you. It's, it's really just gritting it out and wanting it bad enough to do it. And that's really what it comes down to is just, just uh, constantly learning, constantly evolving and getting better at it and, and not giving up when times get hard. You know, I've been through a ton of, of struggle as I'm sure any business owner has or any person in their life. And I think the biggest difference between me and, and you guys like you and stuff is that we chose to keep going forward. We, we chose to keep moving forward instead of just going, nope, I can't do that. And going back, you know, going backwards, you know, um, and that's kind of a big separator front of success is I think the guys that, that will, per, will persevere uh, through the hardships and, and go through that time frame of struggle, they come out on the other end and then boom, they just blow up, you know, but you have to go through that to get there. And that's the biggest thing that I think I see in this industry is all these young guys, they jump in, they make a few hundred bucks, a few grand, and then all of a sudden they struggle a little bit and then they bail instead of just keep going through it and, and evolving and, and learning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And I was going to ask if you had any advice, but you just covered that for me. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. that just, works well. There yeah, just put your head down and go to you. work, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. was awesome advice. Yeah. Now, how can people get a hold of you, Shane, as far as get a hold of you and, or, you know, your business in case there's any other viewers on this? Yeah, feel free to reach out. So I'm on uh, Facebook, Perfection Plus Auto Salon. Um, Instagram, same thing, Perfection Plus Auto Salon. Uh, you can reach out to me personally on my Facebook page, uh, Shane Mayfield. Um, you can send me a, a message um, or uh, you can always just look me up um, on my website, uh, www.perfectionplus.biz um, or ceramiccoatmycaroregon.com is another website that I have. Um, you know, you can always check me out there. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to help. Awesome. Well, there you have it, Shane. Thank you. Um, yeah. Reflection Artist Live, episode number 52. So if you want to uh, share this, it'll be on the Reflection Artist page on Facebook. And then, of course, we have it on all the podcast platforms and on YouTube as well. So thanks again, Shane. And uh, on behalf of Buff and Shine, we want to thank everybody who had the opportunity to watch and or is going to listen at a later date. So much appreciated. And uh, everybody take care. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Justin. No, for sure, Shane. Thank you. Have See a great you. day. Yep. Thanks for tuning in this week to Reflection Artist Live. We hope you had fun and learned something new. If you missed an episode or are looking for more, check us out on our social media or podcast platforms. And join us next week when we have another amazing guest. Don't miss it. We'll be talking business, life, and detailing. Also, don't forget to check out buffandshine.com for a variety of buffing pads and accessories for your detailing arsenal. Thank you.